Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Longevity Muscle Podcast. I'm Kenny, your host, and today we have a very exciting episode for you all. We are joined by none other than Alex Leonidas, also known as Alpha Destiny at one point on YouTube. He is a natural bodybuilder, content creator, so definitely go check out Alex Leonidas on YouTube. This is a long conversation. We get into so many good details about training, about nutrition, about creating content on YouTube. So without further ado, we're going to get right into the episode. Enjoy. Got to capture all this. Got to capture <laughs> everything, man. How you doing? Man, I'm doing great. How are you? Good. It's, a, it's truly a pleasure to sit here and talk with the man, Alpha Destiny. You've been going strong on the YouTube now for 10 years, I would say. Maybe a little more yeah. or what? November of 2013. I can't believe I'm still doing this, but I love what I do. I love inspiring the community. And at the end of the day, I'm passionate about fitness. Yes, yes. No, you're doing a great job, man. I truly enjoy uh, the videos that you put out. I've uh, watched a bunch. So yeah, keep doing your thing. It's obviously you're making an impact for sure. Your channel's obviously blown up since when you first started. So, yeah. you know, that's, uh, that's interesting as far as, well, patience, right? Like you started a YouTube yeah. channel in 20, 2013, right? And I can relate that a lot to just the bodybuilding journey in general, especially natural mm -hmm. bodybuilding, where you got to be so patient if you want to build just truly an amazing physique. And of course, that's subjective, but I think we are on the same page with what that looks like, if you will. But 100%. yeah, would you say that's also the case with your aspiration or how it started on YouTube for yourself as well? You nailed that right off the bat. So there's a lot of parallels when we talk about starting a YouTube channel versus building your body and even gaming of all things, you know, because I grew up playing a lot of JRPGs where there's a slow grind and you build up your character. Um, it's when you're building a channel at the start, it's actually it's the opposite of lifting in the beginning in the sense that your first year, you have novice like progression. So it's five pound PRs every single time you train fast linear gains and then it kind of starts to taper off after a year whereas when you start your channel the first year is the slowest and in my case it took a whole year just to get a thousand subscribers then the second year i got around five thousand third year ten thousand then the fourth year is when it blew up you know i hit 20k wow. and then it went to 50k then i was getting 10k subs a week and I just kept pumping 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 past 100 and then that's when it started slowing down again so when you're a content creator, it's slow and you get a little peak and it goes back down a bit and it maintains. And then every now and then, depending what you're doing, you'll get some more peaks. And I kind of experienced that this year again with the whole shredded transformation. Everyone was hyped up. But I would say that natural bodybuilding is synonymous with daily life and success. It's They're all the same principles. If you can excel at building your body, the, the constant search for new information and just putting yourself out there no matter what, even if things are slow, I mean, you can succeed at business. And what I always said is if you grind for five years straight, it's almost impossible to fail. Like you have to do something really bad or not learn from your mistakes for uh, your stuff to not take off, you know, right. and, and you're doing a great job right now. You're interviewing the best guests. Just so you know, I've been subscribed to you for so, a couple of uh, months now. So I was happy when... You hit me up, you know? I was like, hey, it's Kenny. So that means uh, a lot, man. Yeah, no, I mean it. And just to say, like, you're putting yourself out there and you started recently and your channel is going to continue to grow. And eventually you will be one of those podcast channels where all the best 
are, will continue coming on because they, they want to. They see what you built. So you're, you're developing a portfolio and it's it's so early, but it's just going to keep getting better. And the Man. key is to just stick to it for five years. Well, I appreciate that. And that's well said. And as far as motivation is concerned, like you feel Absolutely. like you hit, you hit a peak and then it, it drops and it tapers and maintains and then you hit another peak. And like, it's funny, if I only did this when I felt motivated, the channel would not be what it is. That's for sure. <laughs> hey, you know what? I, this podcast is not uh, where I see it going as far as there's a lot of room for growth, like you mentioned. But And I also want to thank you also, because obviously you... Um, you took, you're taking the time and I know that a lot of them are probably going to already know who you are, of course, given your presence on YouTube. So I want to, yeah, of course, thank you for doing this. Cause you'd be surprised if you guys actually shut me down some of these YouTubers. So mm. I'm not going to name names, but it's, it's interesting. Oh, look, uh, like, yeah, they won't shut you down in a couple months from now when they see who you've interviewed, just right. saying. So, I mean, that's kind of a social element to it as well. Like for me, when I looked at your channel, I can tell that you were specific with your guests. You weren't just asking Joe Blow, you know, and, and you found these natural bodybuilders who I never even heard of before. I don't know how you got mm. access to these guys. I don't know if you went through the old records of the competitions, yeah. you know, but well, that says something. Yeah, yeah. I've I've been indulged just from watching as far as the competitive side is concerned for quite some time now. I think we're we might be a similar age. I'm not 100%. I think I heard you in a podcast say you were late 20s, but that was maybe a few years ago. I don't know if that's the case, but we don't Still have to dive case, into it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So yeah, I think that was not too long ago. So that makes sense. Yeah, man. So as far as just bringing on the right guests, like I mentioned, it's funny how you have a channel that's bigger than some of the guests that turned me down, like that I wanted to interview that were that are in natural bodybuilding. They're like, mm. oh, hit me back when you have this many subscribers, hit me back oh, when you have on. this many views. I'm not even kidding. Right. So this, uh, this speaks to your character, man. The way if you're here for the community, you're not going to say no. Even if the guy's channel is very small, like less than a thousand subs. I did it with a, a subscriber uh, a couple of weeks ago who mm. doesn't have any views for the most part, but he's been following my stuff for so long that he was able to ask all the right questions. And I'll tell you what, compared to some like popular podcast channels, there's no one who can ask questions like him because he's a real supporter. So you'd be right. surprised if you put yourself out there, it'll get you thinking as well. Right. And worst case, like there's someone I used to follow. He used to say yes to everybody's guests, right? And he would just download the video and make shorts out of it. So it's not going to hurt you as the content creator. Just cut out right. the guy if you don't want him in your video. And there you go. So, right. so it's win-win for everybody. And, yes. and if you're here for community, you're going to say yes. So if you're not, you know, that, that's a red flag. Like Scott Herman back in 2017 mm. was featuring random guys on his channel that hit him up at the gym. Mm. Uh, and now some of these guys are in the industry full time. Yo, it's funny you mentioned that because I went to school with a guy named uh, Kyle Gronin, who's part of Colossus Fitness. And he that's how his channel blew up. He went and he visited Scott Herman. Wow. And uh, Scott put him on the channel. And then that kind of, you've seen that a lot, actually, with like, um, mm -hmm. I think it was Max Tuning. And as far as Max Tuning was put on by, was it Guzman? Something like this. Like there was a bunch of guys. A lot where, of people were mentioning him, you know? Yeah. Oh, there was a few guys. Okay. So there's a few channels that might might have mentioned him then. Yeah, yeah. Omar Isaf talked about him, Johnny Candido, because tuning was viewed as the pound for pound guy at the time. Not, not many people were doing 500 plus deadlifts at that body weight. So <laughs> right. Just, yeah. Yeah. And he was doing vlogs. It was very simple content, but it was an innocent time of YouTube fitness. 
you know? It was. It was. Oh, Nick Wright. That's what it was. Nick I think. Wright. Nick yes. Wright. Nick yes. Wright was telling me the story because Nick Wright also, uh, I interviewed Nick nice. wow, months, months ago and we were talking about that. But yeah, it's just, it's interesting. You know, in this community, like you said, if you're here for the community, it's about, it's about that. Man, you're mentioning some OG names here. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't build community, you're going to be all alone. Mm-hmm. And I figured that out the hard way you can say. I would say between 2017 and 2020, like a lot of the naturals had stopped making content. I was like one of the few guys left. And then right. when global events hit, there was like a new wave of guys that came in, which was awesome. And we started like going back and forth and rebuilding the community. But I would say there was a good uh, three-year period where it was all the juice sets, you know. And I'm sorry to use that term in a derogatory fashion, but, you know, I would have loved to talk to anyone who was on the same page as myself. And now there's a bunch of them and I couldn't be happier. So even if it's one person extra, put them on the map have a chat and see where it goes. Because if I look at guys like Bald Omni-Man, Jeffrey Eddie Schofield, Natural Hypertrophy, Basement Bodybuilding, all these guys, I mean, their channels blew up in the last year, year and a half. And yes. I saw them when they were at, you know, a small amount of subscribers. Who would have known that they would have done so well, right? So right. by establishing that connection early on, you're building something that's really going to last. And I view the natural community like an old school video game that guys can't seem to get rid of. Like uh, Diablo 2, people are paying, people are playing it 20 years later. You know, World of Warcraft, old school RuneScape. I'm going on nerdy mode on you, but the point is, it's a long-term subscription because the natural journey is long-term. If you're going to be trained for the next 10, 20 years for the rest of your life, well, that same mindset should be reflected in every aspect of your life, whether it be friendships, business, you know, just making content. It's always That's- win-win. That's well said. That's facts too, because it's funny. You mentioned these five guys, right? Jeffrey, Verdi Schofield, Natural Hypertrophy, Bald Omniman. I said that right. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. Based on bodybuilding, right? I think initially, I, I don't even know how your channel came up on my feed. I want to say your channel put, for me, those other five guys on. Wow. So it's funny how that works. Like you huh. consume one and then because you mentioned... Jeff, yeah. and then and then I think Bald Omniman got mentioned in a podcast. So that was really recent. I didn't even know who he was until like That's I want to say this year. So it's funny how yeah, it's funny how that uh, circulates as far as yeah, just conversation, uh, just like we're having now, kind of right. Yeah, <laughs> like well, you were you you were on Dave McConey's uh, podcast recently, and that also brought up some of those names. And I was like, oh, let me go check. Dave's that guy. great, and and now all those guys are friends with each other. <laughs> so yeah, it's, so it's not just me talking to one of them, you know. Man right. to man, it's <laughs> they'll do group chats as well on Dave's uh, podcast. So I saw that. Look, look what you can develop just by having one conversation. You never know who you're going to impact. So just I always tell people it's never too late to start and put yourself out there because we'll gladly welcome you into the community if what you offer is legit. You're not just here to make a quick buck and you want to mm-hmm. be here for years to come. Hey, welcome. You know, and then the rest you'll just figure it out with time. You know, upgrading the camera, the audio, the way you present your information. We all start off being a little bit awkward and not clear in your message, but it's a skill like anything else, you know, cause you're well talking said. to a camera that doesn't give you feedback, but with time you're giving yourself feedback cause you're rewatching yourself multiple times and your, your comment section and the viewers won't lie. The algorithm will tell you a lot as well. So. That's true. That's true. How do you handle that? So let's talk about a little bit. We'll, we'll dive into some of those details as far as sure. just how you've developed your, 
channel in a sense like you you talked about the algorithm there because i'm curious as far as like when do you have does that kind of does that help you switch up how you're going to present content or you're like no this is good information even though the last one similar to this concept maybe didn't do so well i'm still going to put this out because it's the message maybe it's not a short-term benefit the thing is like when you've been doing this for so long you know before uploading a video if it's going to do well Okay. So I've been doing before. This for 10 years. Sorry? Before you even upload it, you'll yes. know. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I know for a fact. Like this one I just uploaded on uh, the, uh, the, the the number one killer of gains. I knew the moment I pressed that upload button that it was going to explode in the first day. And that's exactly what happened. Whereas an interview I posted recently, I knew it was going to struggle to hit even 20,000 views in the first day, which is a lot less than what I usually upload. Because if the content is too long, let's say between two and three hours, that in itself just <laughs> eliminates the desire to want to watch the whole thing. People have a right. short attention span. And even if you look at the analytics, it'll be like a, an average 12 minute view duration off a three hour video. Mm-hmm. So that tells me that people don't like overly long content. And that's why splicing up the clips is great. And you do that, you know, I'll always offer the full version, but having the other option is great as well. So there's that. And then what the title is, I would say the title is more important than anything else, you know? Right. Because they're not if they're not interested in the subject, it doesn't matter if you design a really nice thumbnail or what you say in the video is good. They're just going to click off because they can't relate. Yeah. Uh, and then there's certain things that just, like if I release a transformation video, they're always going to get uh, three to five times the amount of views, possibly more. If it's a very controversial video, like an exercise that everyone loves, but you don't necessarily like, and you can justify why it's not the best that's going to crush it. You know, I made a video on lateral raises on why I wasn't emphasizing them at the time. And it got over a million views, you know, because that's not something that you typically hear. You know, everyone's going to tell you, you want bolder shoulders, you do lateral raises. So whenever you go against the grain, that's an easy spike right there, you know? And if you really, if, if you make videos on stuff that is seemingly not important, but it actually is, it still won't do well. What I'm saying mm-hmm. is all the boring stuff about injury prevention and, uh, you know, mobility, uh, deloads, like the intricacies of programming, like the last 20% guys don't want to hear it. They just want to hear like three exercises to build your biceps and whatnot, you know? So it's very primitive in that sense. You just got to appeal to the male ego, but at the same time, that's not the mindset you should be operating on. You know, it should be whatever creatively sparks you and just having the best script possible with the best delivery possible with the best uh the, the best quality right so even if i know the topic itself is not in high demand in the future that video could do well because someone's gonna end up typing that in the search engine and if right. no one's posting that well it's gonna be me and i'm gonna have the best damn video on it so some videos initially will perform very poorly but years from now is when they'll resurface so that's how you balance out the algorithm, you know, stuff that you're really passionate about, but no one else is. Don't worry, post it anyway, because it'll, it, it will have its time to shine. It's not right now. You know, one of my most popular videos is uh, on being strong, but not big or vice versa. Oh, right. Yeah, and when yeah, I, I first that. uploaded it, it struggled to get 10,000 views. It wasn't a high demand topic. You know, people don't care. They didn't care about that. Right. They just want to be uh, big without the strength. Well, it turned out to be one of my most viral segments. So demand changes with time, but if you have the content available, 
it's like a light switch, you know, it can do well. And it just, once the algorithm starts pushing it, it's like a wildfire, it doesn't stop. So mm. I would just say post content that creatively sparks you, what you're really good at explaining. And if you have the deliverables in terms of the B-roll and all that, I mean, don't don't just let that footage uh, archive, you know, in your folders, put it to use. And it's better than doing nothing. And that's another way that you'll keep the consistency and not get burnt out. Because if you're always trying to appeal to the algorithm or try to get viral, that's going to drive you crazy. And then you're going to loathe just making content because you know that you're you're doing things to get a rise out of people. So that's what that makes I would sense. Say. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. It's uh, it's a good reminder too, in some ways, and good advice in other ways. So that's uh, appreciate that input. And for anybody listening who's thinking about starting a channel, there you go. There's some tips from the o, from the o, the, the OG. <laughs> now we can consider you an OG in a sense because you started in Crazy. 2013, man. That's 10 years you put in that work, right? So. That's uh that's something, man. So congrats on that too, by the way, because a lot of people they don't have the the grit to last that long on the I YouTube, appreciate right? That. And well, you have to um, keep because you're you're constantly putting out information. It's evolved too. It's 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 truly something, well, man. So I appreciate that. Well, the, the secret with that again is you need to constantly learn. I'm not the same guy I was 10 years ago. I'm a bit older. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I've experienced things in the gym that you haven't been there, you, you can't say, you know, it goes beyond just reading some book and whatnot. But also I've read a lot more books, hundreds of more books since then. Right. So just my, my tacit knowledge and my formal understanding of things has increased and there's always new data coming out. So if you subscribe to newsletters, if you're following some of the top exercise scientists or trainers, you'll learn new input from them. So it's like, my question is how can you not have different information after 10 years? Well, the only the only possibility is that you settled, right? You decided to maintain your physique for one. That's the biggest killer right there. And you didn't stay updated to the current news. The moment you're out of the loop, you messed up. It's like a news reporter. You got to be in the game. You got to be living the lifestyle. If you get out of shape, if you just talk about your prime or what you used to do, nobody cares about that. People care right now. And one of the biggest things with that kind of reminded what we we're talking about before injuries mm. you always hear about the comeback right well look what happens when someone gets hurt their views plummet they're like yeah we'll be there for you it's all good we'll support you during this time but they don't they leave right. and they follow some other guy who's not snapped up so what you got to do is not get hurt leave your right. keep your ego in check don't search for the fastest progress just because you're going to impress someone in that moment because let me tell you a week later nobody cares about your pr that's but they'll fast. care about what you're doing if you're in the game for the next five years. So don't get snapped up. Stay up to date. Learn, 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 learn. And also invest in your viewers. Mm. You know, I, I put a lot of money down on equipment. I don't have to. You know, my older stuff was good. But why not make it 10% better for the viewer? Right. Why not make it more crisp? You know, so if people can see that you care about them, then you're going to be in the game. For many years to come. I love that. So you, you can't that. lose yourself. That's great, man. I really uh I can resonate with that in a sense too, because on the longevity muscle YouTube channel as well, I try to bring in the people who are who are consuming the videos and who are interested in the content. Like I try to ask questions. Like I want to see what what are what are the listeners doing? You know, what are they yeah. doing? How how many sets are they doing a week? How what's their training like? People want to engage. They want to be involved. You're using yourself as an example. 
you're a messenger. That's it. You're like a prophet of gains. That's it. <laughs> yeah. But they have to come first. You know, take 2020. Uh, the gym shut down everywhere. And I have a home gym. Was I really going to make videos with a barbell when hmm. most guys don't even have access to it? Was I going to upload my, my, my regular training? With high exercise selection that nobody could freaking do. Maybe 10% of my audience who managed to get lucky. No, I'm going to make calisthenics content. And they appreciate that. And it's all about having a relatable aspect. Once you hit a certain level where no one can comprehend what you're doing, it just doesn't make sense to them. Like, um, including when you take steroids, by the way, because now you're so massive and you're so strong that these guys can't even comprehend lifting such numbers or being that size. So once you hit the level of uh, non-relatableness, Mm. it's gonna be hard to connect with your viewers so they, they got to see you in a similar light you know like you're almost a future version of them or what they could be or at least they can get close to you if they put in the necessary amount of work so that's another mm. benefit of being natural and having uh programming advice that generally works for us all you know like i know if i follow any other noble natties their advice is going to work on me and mm. vice versa and the audience is going to give us that feedback. And if they're staying for years to come, if they're like, yeah, I've been sub to you since uh, 2016, 2017, it's because what you're saying works. You didn't BS yeah. them. You didn't just try to get a, a quick view. You're, you're actually sharing helpful information that's been proven to be effective on yourself, as in the physical changes that are being displayed, but also they're experiencing it. And then the, the word of mouth gets out there and everything's beautiful. So viewers first, you're second. Nice. Well said, man. That's wisdom right there and maturity as well. And it's no secret, again, why you are why you are where you are with it, right? So um, thank you. Yeah, awesome, man. So let's transition now because obviously you competed recently. Yes, sir. And you look phenomenal. Like you have a lot of muscle mass. You carry a lot of muscle mass for your height. I want to say you're what, 5'7"? I'm five foot five. <laughs> I appreciate the Dang, boost, man. <laughs> so that's well, so. What was your contest weight? So my actual stage weight, day of, like close off, 150 pounds. Okay, what? Well, so that that's that's why it's impressive because also you are five foot five coming in at 150, and that's so that's were you competing as a lightweight or did it not run so, like that? At so it was classic physique. Um, mm. If I would have done uh, just regular bodybuilding, it would be the upper end of the bantam. I believe that goes oh, right. up to 152. Right. So, you know, I'd be like close to maxing out my class. And in hindsight, I probably should have done that because uh, I think it would have been like an easy, you know. <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. Because the guys that I was with on stage, they were like one, in the 130s. I talked to a guy, he told me it was 137. So I had yep. 13 pounds of muscle on him at basically the same height. Because you see that we're all lined up and I'm like, damn, I just, you know, but I've been at this for so long and I never competed before. So I didn't know like just how muscular I was, you know, in a shredded state, but it, that's what it was. And, and the guy who got first place, by the way, he was a lightweight. Mm. So there you go. The one muscle right. you have, you do have an advantage because classic physique is, is height based. Right. So they're doing it by height. So I have to ask, are you, you're Greek, right? Half Greek. By, half Greek. Okay. Italian and Greek. Italian and Greek. So that okay, so because you have a little bit of that. Are you based in New York? I can't no, from Montreal, but the, the, the immigrants that went to New York are the same people who came here. Okay. I that's what I you know what's so crazy because you have that same uh yeah like, that, like you talk like that New York Italian a little that's bit in right. you. Like 
and same then, generations of people, man. Okay, and then you also because when they got off it, the boat, it was a choice. You either go to Montreal or New York, so they went here instead. That's, that's <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, and then of course the last name is a giveaway. I knew that's that's Greek. Yeah, right? so that's my real last name too, which is crazy. Yeah, man. That's uh, that, but that's where that Greek god genetics the, come the into Greek play, genetics, bro. You know, <laughs> exactly, man. That's awesome. So. So what what was the heaviest you got? Because people need to understand this, that yeah. you're not walking around close to 150. Hell no. <laughs> right? So let's talk about what was your quote unquote, well, your off season pretty much ran what, like, I want to say a few years before you got leaning. Because you got lean once before that, but not yeah. staged lean. No, not quite as lean as that. So yeah. I've been bulking and cutting for so many years now that I've lost count. But I've always okay. been known as the bear mode guy. And the reason why I look so impressive is because I was willing to go above 20% body fat. My off-season weight before I did this shredded transformation was 200 pounds. Oh, so that's 50 pounds five, more. Yeah. Than, yeah, five yeah. foot five, that's very heavy. That is heavy, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I certainly felt it, you know? Mm. So usually I'll bulk to the 180s. I'm comfortable around 181 to 189. But this year, well, last year you could say I took it to another level. Gained that extra 10 pounds, and it really paid off. I, I wish I did it sooner. My absolute strength was, was at its highest. Okay. And I just feel like I gained more muscle from it, and I had better recovery. So Interesting. I'm, I, I like being fluffy when trying to gain muscle. Even right now, I'm back in the 180s. You know, So I've gained over 30 pounds since the competition. And that, that happens relatively quickly as well, which is uh, mm-hmm. like it, you get a spike, and then it just it plateaus. So that's interesting because, of course, depending on who I've spoken to, there's there's a there's two percentage. Lines of thought with that. There's two lines of thought yeah. with that, right? And I can understand your thought process there. I and I've lived your thought process too with that. But I think at a certain point in your journey, it becomes such a small percentage of growth mm-hmm. as far as the maybe absolute weight on the bar if you're. If you're, you know, assuming you're tracking your lifts, right? Of course. As far as how you're feeling. And I don't know if like when you're younger, you can get away with these heavier bulks and it it, it not yeah. have like a negative effect, uh, effect on your, just on the way you're feeling. You can get too high with it. And then, it, but maybe that's associated with age. You see what I'm saying? Like you can get yeah. too high with the bulk, but maybe there's an association with age where it's not the same as when you were 10, 15 years younger like in your I, 20s but i don't know how do you feel about this because obviously you and i'm not talking about how you feel because i know your preference for yourself mm-hmm. but what's your take on what you've heard some of the other bodybuilders talk because i know you've you said you uh you've tuned into some of the episodes yeah. and you, you're aware there's two schools sure. of thought there. yeah so the other thought is you stay within 15 pounds of stage weight but you're still bulking just slowly so you're still uh getting all the the benefits right and that makes sense you know i'm not gonna lie if you track it perfectly You'll make gains. Hmm. The thing is, it takes a lot of discipline, though, because after you compete, you are starving. And uh, it's not uncommon to re-put that exact way that these guys are talking about in one month. So if hmm. you're doing it over the course of an entire offseason, I mean, all respect. But I know that that's work. <laughs> like, you're, st- you're still not living life. I'll just say it hmm. straight up. But I think you're right about the age thing. Being in a calorie surplus probably does shorten your lifespan to a certain extent. The only protocol that's been proven to make you live longer is caloric restriction with micronutrient adequacy. So if you're in a surplus for the next 10 years, you know, let's say between 30 and 40 years old, I don't think that's particularly good for you in the long run. But the thing is, if you did it in your early 20s, 
which maybe allowed you to maximize your growth. Then you slowly taper off and you just switch to traditional lean bulking. Then you got most of the gains anyways. It doesn't matter if your progress is going to be a bit slower. And in my case, I can definitely, in my 30s, I, I don't see myself bulking at 200 pounds anymore because it does take a toll on the body. You're, you're constantly eating, you feel bloated. It's, it, it's not good for you. Even if you try to do it in a clean way, a surplus is a surplus. And you don't know the risk of that. You know, there's also possible sleep apnea, right? Even if you're not on drugs, you just get fatter everywhere. So there probably should be a, a body fat cap and less aggressive bulks as you become more experienced makes sense to me. But the reason why I do it all the time is because honestly, it works better than anything I've ever tried. And even when we look at the data, you'll see that it's not a statistical significant difference, right? Versus lean bulkers versus uh, dirty bulkers. And by the way, the, the studies don't define dirty bulking as a crazy surplus. It's usually like five or 15%. But the thing is, there's still a difference. Even when we're going beyond the topic of bodybuilding, now we're really talking a difference. And because I'm not just a bodybuilder, I love general strength. You know, I bench press 405, the extra below makes a difference because your leverages are improved. So even if we can say on a lean tissue perspective, the gains can be comparable, the strength gains might not be. You know, I would have never lifted the weights that I hit had I not bulked to those heavier body weights. And this is what powerlifters do all the time. They up a weight class. And we're even seeing some naturals now who are gaining 100 pounds, let alone 50, and that's taking their gains to a whole new level. You know, you're going to look fat in the process. You're going to have some loose skin when you cut down. Sure, it's not as aesthetic, but what you're putting on the bar, it's a cheat code. It's the final card. Gain mm. all that weight and you can't fail. And one more thing about that, bulking holds you to the highest level of accountability on the programming side of things. Because if you're not making gains, if you're still plateauing on your numbers, then you don't know how to train. So some would argue that bulking is a sign that you don't know how to train because the surplus itself is just automatically getting you bigger. But the thing is, if you're getting bigger without the strength gain, then it's precisely the opposite of what these people are arguing. If you're not making gains in the surplus, then you don't know how to train. But if you are making gains, the surplus is just fueling that progressive overload in an optimal way. So that makes sense to me. When you're in your 20s, like I went through those heavy, aggressive bulks, and I saw benefit from that. That's no doubt about it. For sure. And now that I'm in my 30s, especially, I didn't feel that same benefit anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I want, no, like that's just the truth, man. And and it's had yeah. nothing to do with the training was still the training. It's not that it's, I felt sluggish. I felt slow. I felt like, yeah, I just, I did not feel good at mm -hmm. the weight that once was like, I was thriving at. It's a strange thing, man. And I do wonder if it's, it's an age related factor, but I don't want to blame it on age either. Right. So but there, there could be something to explore there. Maybe it's the fact that, yeah, growth is just not as as linear yeah. as it is when you're younger. So is majority of that just fatty tissue? And maybe that's why it's feeling more sluggish? Yeah. I don't know. It's but also what you eat. Like uh, heart disease starts at 10 years old. Mm. And uh, a lot of bodybuilders, I mean, I'm not going to comment on your diet because I don't know all the intricacies and whatnot. But a lot sure. of bodybuilders follow these bro diets that uh, probably aren't that good for you in the long term. And they're deniers of... Uh, a lot of things that I won't really get into today. So maybe if they had those foods in a normal quantity, like in a maintenance calorie context, or even a calorie deficit, they'd be fine. But because they're eating those same foods in a surplus, now it's what's causing problems. And after 10 years, the health issues are coming into play. And you'd be surprised how many even natural bodybuilders have high cholesterol and high blood pressure. And they're, they're on the road to heart disease, despite being natural, because their diet is, yeah. <laughs> they're basically in a surplus and they're eating like crap. They're exactly. eating junk and food. And that adds highly... up over the years. Mm. 
Interesting. That makes sense to me, actually. And uh, yeah, that would take some thinking back and analyzing what was my last. Like, if you really analyze what you ate during those bulks, maybe it's more so the food and the quantity of it. You know, you could be you could be right about this because the other thing, and I was bringing this up with I think it was Nigel St. Louis, a great natural bodybuilder. We were talking about the fact that when you're bulking, you Mm -hmm. can trick yourself almost like it's an excuse like uh, let's order burgers and, and fries like come on bro yeah. burgers and, and let, fries like from a from a yeah. you know they're deep frying it in like who knows what oil yeah, yeah. and then you wonder and you're eating them sometimes twice a week and then you eat like just yeah. crappy foods man that the, you know the thing is, gonna is like you-, you know it's gonna fuel your progress in the gym so oh what's what's one little cheat meal gonna do but the thing is it's not one <laughs> right it's multiple cheat meals add up over several months and then years and then you have right. a health problem so i, I can understand why guys would feel sluggish. There's also the biological age, you know? If you're mm. speeding up <laughs> all the mechanisms, then uh, it makes sense why you can't tolerate certain things like when you were 19 or whatever. If you took your bulk as seriously as you took your cut from a whole foods perspective, assuming you're doing yes. this, right? Maybe, maybe, and you've got me thinking that you might actually thrive if you're doing I, a, maybe a slightly more aggressive bulk. If you're someone who stays, who hovers like, like you said, 10 to 15 pounds away from stage weight, and you're only in your 30s. Like, you're not old, man. You're not in your 40s. No, and 50- no. Like, I can understand the 50-year-old who's competing every other year or every year. Like, they want to stay leaner. They're not really building much muscle at that point, assuming they've been consistent for so many years, right? Some of these pro-level natural bodybuilders that in their 50s, like, okay, I can understand it. But even then, could they be feeling better and like you got, you got the wheels turning for sure, mm-hmm. as far as bump up the calories, but keep everything as far as the 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 quality the same, and just see how you how you yeah, operate. Yeah, I think that would be the, the best way to go about it. But at the end of the day, a surplus is a surplus, and that in mm-hmm. itself might not be longevity promoting. But if the foods themselves are really good, I mean, that's going to beat the alternative for sure. And let's right. let's just be honest. Most guys, uh, actually, I would say all of them have never done. <laughs> like a perfect bulk where all the variables were tracked unless think, they're older. <laughs> yeah. Even then, like, are you really tracking to know exactly how much of a surplus? I know that obviously energy expenditure is different day to day, but like you do when you're cutting, like you're keeping things pretty rigid, right? Okay. Let's do that. But in a surplus, how much of a yeah. surplus? Well, let's do the math and try to be somewhere in a range that maybe it is not so negative as far as like you were mentioning where it's, if it's too yeah. aggressive, it's not such a, uh, negative effect from a longevity standpoint, like from a health perspective, right? All I would say is that all the best naturals that I've ever seen have done a serious bulk in their lifetime. Even if at one point they decide to cut things back and I'm certainly going to get there. I, I know it, you know, I won't be doing this. Uh, like I, ca- I can't gain 50 pounds every time, you know, it's too much, right, right. maybe 20 tops. Right. And I, I always say like, yeah, th- this is the bulk where I'm only going to gain this much fat. It never happens because the gains are too good. I would say that you can't be contradictory. You can't mm. cease to acknowledge your roots because that's right. what got you there. And you can't definitively state that you would have been in the same spot had you not done the bulk. That's true. So I think, yeah, when I look around, it's just a trend. As far as what people are saying, as far as staying leaner. As far and as, far as the results. And it's easy to say, I'll just stay shredded year round or close to it. But in practice, it's much harder to do. And right. I don't think a lot of guys have what it takes to go through that pain. Even though we can say that most of the side effects is from the calorie deficit itself, there's still an independent factor to being at a very low body fat. Like I don't right. think for a second that my gains would be optimal being at 10 to 12% body fat versus say 15% body fat. It's not that far off. Physiologically, you do feel the difference. That makes it And your leverages are better and whatnot. So like you don't have to get fat, but being on the edge of 
say closer to your end stage fluffy weight is going to do more for you than the opposite, being closer to shredded. I've wrestled this in my mind and it would be interesting to get your input on this. If you're not losing weight slash body fat and you're not gaining weight slash body fat, then what's really happening there? Like you're just sitting at a comfortable place, which is maybe maintenance. And then if you're just maintaining and that's not the goal and you're wondering why nothing's happening, well, because you're literally maintaining. So there has to be some, right. So, and I know that's obvious, but maybe for someone listening that got some wheels turning, right? If nothing's moving on either end of the spectrum, how can you be sure anything's happening? These people are just going to say that the stimulus wasn't adequate enough or that you hit your so-called genetic limit. I've seen that with some 25-year-olds that maybe they started lifting at 15 and they refuse to gain weight. They're always in a maintenance phase and they're like, yeah, I hit my genetic limit. This is it. But it's like, no, you didn't. You got to bulk again, buddy. And it doesn't take much, even the smallest surplus. Guys who, who claim that they make great gains with main gaining, quote unquote, they actually are gaining fat just at a very small rate. Let's say you put on four pounds of fat in a year, which is nothing. Actually, let's look at myself. Back in 2019, I weighed around 160 pounds. I was doing cardio every day for six months straight. And I slowly went from 160 to 169 over the course of a year, basically. That's very slow weight gain. I had abs the whole time and I was I was lean. I was strong. Everything was amazing from a progression standpoint. But on a month-to-month basis, you look exactly the same. And by the end of the year, what's nine pounds, including water weight? You know, it's, it's a joke. I would have told you that I was eating in a maintenance phase, but I wasn't. It was obviously a very minute calorie surplus that added up over time. So I think those guys can see results, but just pure like perfection. I'm going to eat 2000 calories a day for the next year. Yeah. Good luck making progress with that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the natural bodybuilders who I've spoken to, of course, who do reside on the end of the spectrum where they're staying leaner, they're also a lot older, you know, and they have a different perspective on things now because they're a lot older. And I'm sure, like you said, it would be interesting to just go back in time for a second and see, hey man, you're literally, you've literally bulked up in this time period. That made a difference physique. I think it was Lyle McDonald. The first five years is like where a lot of the gains are 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 being made. It was in your first five years of productive training, not just five years. Productive, exactly. Most guys never had productive training. And then the rest is just a small, it's it's percentages that you're chasing, of course, but it's it's uh, like- yeah, you want to chime in on him? Yeah, it's, it's it's diminishing returns. So you might gain uh, two pounds of muscle a year, best case five. And then you'll have, Alberto Nunez also said that you get these spurts once in a while. If you gain, let's say you're on year 10 and you put on two pounds of muscle on year 11, it's very possible that on year 12, you put on five pounds of muscle. You would mm. think that's not the case, but sometimes it just works out that way. We saw it with Alberto. That's true with his back. Like you saw it in exactly. his back too. Yeah, we literally saw it. And if I look at my journey, just last year, well, I bulked, I did a serious one. That was one of my most productive bulks yet, mm. getting up to 200 pounds. And I feel like I did put on at least five pounds of muscle. Why? Because I learned more about biomechanics. I started training more like a bodybuilder with certain things, higher proximity to failure, whatnot. And I went harder on my legs. You know, mm. I wasn't just doing uh, barbell squats and conventional deadlifts, you could say. Like it, it went beyond like powerlifting type training. So even at a, a high level, there's always something you can improve upon. And just by raising all those things collectively, you'd be surprised what that could equate to in terms of a, a yearly muscle increase. I didn't think I could put on five pounds of muscle in a year, but I did after 10 plus years. Yeah, that's amazing, man. And it's interesting because, well, I saw in a few videos, you were talking about how when you started doing direct arm training, like a lot of naturals have oh, this yeah. issue with, uh, is it the call it the spider physique? I think the that's what physique. Nat- natural. Was that you or natural hypertrophy? Yeah, that's natural hypertrophy. <laughs> <Okay. to them. laughs> all right, fair enough. 
Yeah, he was uh, he was talking about that. And I'm like, man, this guy's got a point. Like, we really do prioritize. Yeah. Think about think about our splits, upper, lower, the natural bodybuilding world. And then right. when you look at someone who does a bro split, like Doug Miller, um, when you look at someone like uh, even uh, no, who else am I thinking with? Like, who's got the arm development? That's like uh, you're like, whoa, this guy's got incredible arms. And it may, maybe it's not just genetics either. It's like you see it in their training. Like this guy prioritizes it's usually arms. cause and effect, right? Like, so yes. But Doug Miller comes to mind because he's just the he's the phenom with that, right? But it's bro split, and I'm not saying bro bro splits are superior, but he has a day literally where all he does is arms, you know. So he he's went out of his way to to have a an arm day, and most naturals are not doing that. They're doing upper oh. lowers where it's torso dominant. It's it's right? very uh, push pull chest, legs, back and leg biased, it, right? Again, powerlifting centric, and I fell yeah. victim to this for many years. My arms, Kenny, were my worst body part, and now. I mean, 17 inches at five foot five is pretty jacked yeah, and went out that's... and stage lean. They were 15 and a half inches. So the way I brought those up was with freaking curls and tricep extensions. It's not difficult to comprehend this. You know, I, I was benching 405. Okay. And, and doing dumbbell extensions with 35 pounds. That's a joke. Mm. Comparatively speaking, now yeah. I'm up to 58 pounds per hand. You know, skull, skull crushers. Yeah, d- uh, decline dumbbell skull crushers. I'm going to try 60 el- next week. Whoa. So talk to me about the elbow health there. Like you have to do it in a certain way to keep the elbows healthy. Yes. So the, the biggest tip I have is to do high rep banded pushdowns. Um, I okay. learned about this maybe in 2015 by uh, Louis Simmons. He had uh, an ART guy named John Quint that was showing, that was analyzing the West Side athletes and noticing that they had very low uh, rates of injuries in the elbow specifically. And when mm. he analyzed them, it was specifically the connective tissue. And he theorized by looking at Dr. Uh, Mel Siff's work, the author of Super Training, that bands, they snap back faster than the speed of gravity, right? But you're still getting a full range of motion. And he, he speculated that getting that blood flow in with that super speed selectively targets the connective tissue when you're doing higher reps. So I started implementing that practice. And just so you know, Kenny, I have hypermobile elbows. I was looking for a solution because I couldn't do any tricep isolation work. I couldn't do skull crushers. I couldn't even push downs would cause problems after a certain amount of time. So mm-hmm. nothing worked for me until I started doing that, which was usually about three sets of 33, two sets of 50 pumping with the band specifically. It can't be the cables. It's got to be the bands. And you do that uh, 12 to 24 hours after a strenuous session. And lo and behold, a month later, no more pain. And I've been doing that ever since. And whenever my elbow starts to act up or whatever, I go back to that and everything is cured. So I swear by it. And it's allowed me as someone with hypermobile elbows to overload doing crazy one rep maxes, a lot of tricep bias movements, extensions, the most risky stuff you can do. I can handle it all. It's wow. simply because of the high rep band pushdowns. I'm telling you, it's a game changer. That's pro tip right there. So for anybody listening, that's uh, maybe got something similar going on. You could think yeah. about that, implementing that. And we were talking about our having an arm day. Yes. What do you have to say to those who say, well, there's so much overlap? I got my opinion on this because I think this is dependent upon structure and what is literally taking the bulk of your presses? What's the primary mover of the bench press? It's your damn pecs. Like when you're in the bottom position and you're getting stretched out over here, your pec fibers are like ripping apart. You feel it. It's the lengthened position. It's the most hypertrophic part. And the pecs are one of the few muscles that actually do benefit from the way to stretch. That's what's going to grow. And when you look at raw powerlifters, okay, they all have watermelon pecs. If you go yeah. on the IPF page, Water. if you want to talk about the, the natural ones, quote unquote, and you just scroll down, you'll scroll for days. They all got huge pecs, every last one of them. But 
they don't have big arms. The majority, mm. the vast majority do not have big arms. It's also because they don't really train their biceps that hard. But in terms of the triceps, I've seen it so many times where a strong bencher has around 16 inch arms. And that's exactly where I was at until I started taking them more seriously. You know, not that it's a bad measurement. That's good, but you can have so much more. And the true test of how big your arms are in relation in relation to your strength is isolation strength. That's it. So if I'm benching three plates for reps and I'm doing pushdowns with uh, 120 pounds and this guy next to me is benching maybe 250 for reps or 225 for reps, but he has the same pushdown strength as me, I wouldn't be surprised if our arms are the same size, despite me benching way more than him. And we've seen this with Jeffrey Verity Schofield. What he does on the overhead extension, I can't even budge for one rep. He does a, a, over 150 pounds for reps on that exercise. And his one rep max bench is claimed to be 250. So how is it possible that my bench is so much higher, yet I can't do what he does for you know, even low repetitions? Because he trained his arms directly. He focused on them. His, his program is, is all biased towards arm exercise. He has the shoulder and arm day to top it off. He's went hard. And the results show. And it's that simple. It's it's cause and effect. We've been lied to by strength <laughs> athletes, by powerlifters, saying that the compounds are, are enough. They're not enough. You know, I got mm. my, my, my weighted pull up to four plates and my biceps were flat. They didn't look good. Mm. I had to start curling more seriously. Like in the back of my mind, I was praying. I'm like, please, like surely if I get my chin up strong enough, I have to have this arm measurement, right? It just never played out. My mm. lats would get wider and wider and then the arms would not. And then the bench press, okay, I'll get my close grip bench up. Got it to 365, then 380. They still weren't 17 inches. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, this isn't working. So it's about isolation work, first and foremost. The split they use, depending how the overlap and whatnot, the muscular bias of the exercise. And then one more factor, your anthropometry. If you have short arms and you're doing a flat bench, like you're going to be stretching out your pecs real nice, but your, your elbow bend does not get that low. So if you want to get more tries out of it, you got to switch to like a, a low incline close grip bench. And what you'll notice is that people who have somewhat of a deadlifter's build tend to respond better in the arm department from compound movements because they have so much more range of motion and therefore they'll get more elbow flexion and extension, you know, right? for, for pressing and pulling. So I think that's the distinction. But if you're of an average build or you got shorter limbs, it's not going to work to the same extent. And then there's proximity to failure, right? If your pecs, hit zero reps in reserve, but your triceps had like two or three left, then proportionally speaking, just from that compound, not all muscles are being built equally. So those are all the factors that contribute to the relative effectiveness. Those are some great points to think about. This had me thinking now, is arms, you're still prioritizing arms uh, in your training, right? But you're doing it after, now I don't know how you're currently arranging your training, because I know Maybe we could back up as far as uh, the evolution because you were doing two times per week, full body, and then you had the two GPP days, right? That's right. Yeah. So I built most of my physique with that till the end of 2019. So I started doing upper lower in 2020. I rolled with that up until the last 10 months. (laughs) Oh, really? So So that's, so you just recently switched to, I want to say something like an upper lower, but I could be wrong. It's like a hybrid. uh, I mean, the split is all over the place. I'm still trying to perfect it. My contest prep program was push pull legs off upper arms off repeat okay and on the upper day there was no isolation work so i'd reserve that for the arm day following and that that's one of the best splits i ever ran you can also do the same thing but swap the arm day for a leg day but i was training them once a week 
So if you want more specialization, but the thing is, you know, it depends what, what's lagging for you. And also uh, the deeper you get into a content spread, that split might have to change a little bit. Like towards the end, I had to scrap the arm day completely. I would just take it off, you know? From a fatigue standpoint, just recovery? Yeah, it was or too much, you know? Mm. The joints couldn't handle it. I felt tired all the time. So like if you're just generally lean, it'll work. If it's off season, fantastic. But if you're shredded or right about to step on stage, yeah, that extra day might mess you up for sure. Gotcha. So did you go from basically three on, one off, one on, one off repeat to just three times per week? When you had to, when yeah. you were getting really lean close to contests where you removed the arm day? All I did was remove the arm day, but it was the same oh, you just rem- kind of split. Gotcha. So you yeah. just went through that rotation days I would again. splice in when I, you know, depending how I felt kind of thing. It was very okay. all over the place. And then in recent times, I, I, I've been doing a, kind of like a Jordan Peters split, like a push, pull off, legs off, repeat. Okay. Uh, you, usually, I like to get around 72 to 96 hours of uh, rest between strenuous sessions. 72 is that good baseline, but it also depends on how hard you train. Like if you're doing everything to failure, you might need 96. But if you're leaving some reps in the tank, 72 is uh, generally doable. So where are you at with that now? Because obviously when you were doing, when you were going hard with the full bodies, you had like three days, two to three days between workouts, Yeah, hard workouts. Where are you at now with that as far as failure thing and then just the recovery between sessions? Like right now, not at contest. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'll mention this. When I was doing the full body, that's the best recovery I ever had in my life. Yeah, yeah, I because bet. the whole body recovers together. And even with the GPP, it doesn't matter. Like, because there's no overlap. There's zero overlap, right? And mm. that makes a difference. And there's no systemic action on your days off. Because sometimes you might do a push day on Monday, and then Tuesday you come in, you're still tired, and you feel like, oh, uh, you know? So it's different muscle, but it's the same nervous system. Full body, for anyone who wants to like feel like a god, can't recommend it enough. The workouts are hard. That's the only con with it. Like you're, right. you're going to be out of breath. You got to have the work capacity. So, but that gets built with time, right? Now, in terms of where I'm at now, definitely more of a higher intensity approach. Not quite traditional hit where it's one set to failure, but I've been doing two sets of failure with higher exercise selection. So the secret to making this work is that I've kept my volume the same, but it's less sets per exercise, but I'm doing more exercises. Mm. So back in the day, I might do two compound movements, three sets each, which would equate to six sets. Now I'll do three compounds, but two sets per compound. It's not low. I mean, it is low volume in a sense because I never really train very high volume. It's max, let's say 12 sets a week or whatever, but it's split across multiple movements. This way I get a different biasing effect, right? Mm. On the muscles. So I can hit various angles. I can change the implement, which reduces muscular overuse. That means I won't get injured as easily. It gives me more goals to shoot for. And it makes those sets really count. You know, I might do a top set, back down set or the same but I don't have to worry about that arbitrary third set. That's kind of where I'm at. Higher proximity to failure, zero to one reps in reserve. Nice, nice. The split itself with that approach, is it still push-pull legs? Are you still doing that? Yeah, it's uh, push-pull off, legs off, repeat. Mm. Or sometimes I'll just mix in some upper-lower stuff in there as well. Like what I'm saying is this. It, it, if I have a lot of energy that day and it's a push session, I'll I'll hit back and buys right after. And then the I next day I don't have to I don't have to train them, you know, because I still have the work capacity from all those years of doing upper lower and full body that I'll, I'll mix and match. So I would say it's still that hybrid split that I was talking to you about earlier, just right. without the arm day right now. Gotcha. Now I understand. So you're kind of going off of how you're feeling on that day if it's going to be a full upper body day or if you're going to split it up like how you were talking about. 
Exactly. And it, and it always gets determined on the push date specifically. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I would say the frequency is one and a half times a week per one body part because of that. Otherwise, right. it would be just straight two. Right. And as far as recovery is concerned, because you competed now, how long has it been since you finished competing? Oh, I competed April 29. So uh, how many months is that? <laughs> like three, four months, basically, right? So yeah. how have you found recovering from that? Where are you at now? Like, Do you feel like you're fully recovered? Oh, 100%. Okay, uh, but I would say that it took. So it was it was weird. Um, like my microbiome was completely messed up. I couldn't digest foods properly uh, for about three weeks. Oh, I was constantly bloated, and my stomach would be like out to here. I'd never felt like that before. But I guess like the calories were so low and the foods were so restrictive that I kind of messed myself up. That was not fun. The energy came back relatively quickly, though. I would say between one and two months, but it still wasn't a hundred percent. My mindset was a bit off. Um, you can say I felt I felt a little bit depressed. Post contest yeah, blues, yeah, man. That's what it sounds like. Post contest blues. Yeah. Right. Up until about month three, but physiologically everything was functioning correctly, mm-hmm. but my brain was still. I don't. I don't know if it's because I was comparing my shred physique to regaining some weight. If that made me feel down, or I don't know if there was. I don't know a hormonal thing, but I, uh, I definitely I, felt I, low for and discouraged for uh, a couple of months. You're not the first person who is mentioned this actually so it could be the fact that there's a little bit of that post contest blues yeah they're you're gaining weight and you work so hard to get shredded yeah whether it's subconscious or not there's an aspect there that has to be considered because you work your ass off to get you work your ass off and and now it's just done it's gone right and and when when you see the engagement go down as well because people are like hey you're you're not that shredded guy anymore that's also disheartening because they don't understand that you're dying when you're going through that you're not yourself Right. And for you to be happy, you do have to gain some of this weight back. You know, maybe not right. to the extent that I do, but guys who haven't competed don't understand how tough a contest prep is. Right. When you've been shredded for even weeks out before the competition, like I, I was single digit six weeks, maybe seven weeks out, and you film yourself every time you train. You've accumulated a lot of footage. Guys get used to seeing you like that, and you get used to it, right? And then for that to just shift so rapidly because you end up binge eating or, you know, you just refuse to stay in that state for long. Right. It's, uh, it is disheartening, <laughs> you know, on a personal level. And when you see that the viewers aren't reciprocating the way you feel right now. Right. Right. You made a video where you talked about that actually. And it was, it's great. I'm actually halfway through it with, um, where you broke down Jeffrey. Yes. Gertie Schofield's prep you could say prep or his journey to getting lean. And that's a fantastic video. I encourage everybody to go check that out. I'm looking for the title now because I have it open in my, in my, uh, yeah, the truth about being shredded naturally. That's it. I'm literally halfway through it. It's called, yeah, the shredded truth, my response to, uh, at GVS. So for those listening and you're, yeah, you're interested in checking that out, highly recommend it so far. It's really insightful. I'll say it's uh, it's just crazy how Jeff and I went through the exact same side effects. There's no way out. <laughs> you're going to feel like garbage. Right. If you're getting contest lean, that's just, that that is the distinction here. If you're and getting down like, to 10 to 12% body fat, it's fine. Right. But the moment you cross that threshold where you go below, it's game over. You know, I think, I think from what I've taken in from some of these elite guys, 
it does get smoother and you get used to be feeling that crappy when you've done it repeatedly it. over and over again. And I think because it was your first time and it was Jeffrey's first time that can, you can understand why you had similar, a similar yeah. reaction. Well, uh, Dr. Mike told me that as well. He said, don't okay. worry, next time you compete, it's going to be easier. And I kind of do believe that because this is my second time getting shredded, but not like I got more shredded this time. Right. But I'll say this, right. uh, last year, my peak condition, quote unquote, was, I would say my seven weeks out of this time. Crazy. And I felt the same way, like on the end scale, you know what I'm saying? Okay. I so do. like I, I can get down there again, seven weeks out and kind of like hover it, but it's really that final grind where it's, uh, I don't know what it is. If you're just getting used to being uncomfortable or you kind of still do feel the same way. There's something to be said that, you know, even when bulking, it's, it's easier to put on fat after you've done it once. It's easier yes. to get outside your comfort zone. Bloated is just another, okay, yeah, I've, I've been bloated before. I mean, I don't have much to say about this either because I'm sort of new to it, but. Fair, no, no, no. it's it's, it's insightful. Yeah, it is, and it's insightful for, for those who are about to go into that first time prep, right? So that's why it's insightful for me. So, you know, I wanted to, ultimate goal. What's your ultimate goal with the on the contest side of things? Are you going to do it again? Like, do you see yourself taking a crack at Worlds one day? Yeah, WMBF well, look, Worlds? Uh, I'll say this. If if I do bodybuilding again, 100% with the WMBF. Okay. Because I did it with CPA and there's certain oh, things okay. about it that I didn't necessarily like. And I just, I feel like the WMBF is, that's the place you want to be at long-term among the best with guys who are really on the same page as you, who share the same values, whatnot. And I like, I like the strictness of it too and how it is the pinnacle. And I think I, I have pretty good potential, but I don't know. <laughs> You know, uh, maybe as a bantam upper upper end or lightweight. I, I don't, I don't know how well I could do, but uh, definitely I would go with them. It would have to be in maybe two years from now, because nice. I, I need to put on more muscle. You know, I want I want to put on another five pounds of muscle, then come in more shredded than last time. Because although I was contest lean, I wasn't Alberto lean. Right, and that's that like uh, wow. Like for me to get to that level, I would have to diet another month probably. Right, and I don't know how you can do it considering you already feel like you're going to drop dead. This is interesting. And I know this is, there's an as aspect of like, it's relative, this aspect that I'm about to mention here, but Alberto is someone who can diet on such a, a, a higher calorie amount than your average bodybuilder will okay. say like, like his, his carbohydrate intake is going to, is much higher than the average person who's going through a contest prep from my understanding of, and I, this may have changed for him, but I do wonder, and I know it's relative and I know this, I know this is probably, if anybody's listening, mm -hmm. they're going to be like, it's relative, bro. Like he's used to having 800 carbs. Now he's having 500 or 400 when he's prepping. Lot. It's yeah, but it's still a lot. And I wonder if that does make it easier for him to get probably that. Does. lean. Yeah. Even, even though he's used to having, let's say six, 700 in the off season. I just, I, you can't help but wonder if those extra, that extra amount of food, for well, look, the person um, who's dieting on 100 or 200, like, well, look, I, I that's what I did. Um, about 100 per day, <laughs> I was right. on the low end, and my peak week is when I felt my best. Actually, it was a joke because you're you're slowly carbon up, so it's like 50 grams extra per day, and by the end, you know, you're really up there. So now mm. you're nice and full, and the brain too runs on glucose, right? So the thing is, you don't need to cut out the carbs at all, right? Mm. Like I was told that you, you should do a refeed once a week just to see how you tolerate them. So you you sponge up, you know, as a so that when it's time for peak week, you can kind of micromanage it. Like up until the last uh three weeks, 
I wasn't low carb, you can say. Like that's when it, it got to an extreme level. And honestly, man, I didn't come in that much more shredded. I lost another two pounds of fat. You know, the majority of the prep, I was still uh, lean and towards the end shredded with a higher amount of carbs. I would say like it's more so the correlation of if he can tolerate 500 grams of carbs is because his caloric uh, needs are higher by design. Right. You know, like he must be, I don't know how many calories he's having, but it must be like 2,100 or something. That explains it, you know? So it's just yeah. the calories themselves. Right. I would, I would say no matter what your macros are, if you're under 1,500, you're still going to feel like, uh, like garbage. There's no way around it. Right. Right. But this is information I'm getting from like, I haven't talked to him recently yeah, about yeah, this. So sure. it's, it's a while ago and then he is getting older. So like I would have had more carbs. I'm not against carbohydrates. It's because I, I didn't have any calories left in the day. You yeah, know, by me meeting my, my protein and fat needs, all I had was like a hundred carbs left. So, okay, I just roll with it. Yeah. Otherwise yeah. I would have, I would have loved to pump up to 500, but then I'd be in a surplus. So then you'd be in a surplus. That's what I mean. That's so the, so that's the reason. So it's, I think it's the calories more so than the actual macros. Gotcha. Gotcha. We talked about your potential for taking a crack in the WMBF in two years from now. Where do you see yourself wanting to put on that extra five pounds of muscle? When you look at your physique uh, on yes. stage, yeah, this is, I'm yeah. curious about this. Yeah. So my, my perspective completely changed okay. because I stepped on stage. Yes. That's when you see what your real muscular weaknesses are. Because when mm. you're fluffy, you might store fat in such a way that it doesn't even look like you have that weak point. Right. But once there's no fat and you realize, oh damn, like uh, I'm, I'm kind of lagging here in the muscle side of things. Or, or muscles that you thought were weak point are actually not. Mm-hmm. Like I thought my upper chest was lagging, but once I got shred, I'm like, whoa, I got a nice upper chest. I guess I just store more fat there proportionally, right? right. Well, you might think that your your biceps don't look good, but it's because you store fat in the distal region and it just ruins the shape completely, you know? So stuff like that is what you learn. And uh, in my case, uh, my worst body part is my hamstrings. Okay. which I never thought that was a thing because I do RDLs with four and a half plates for 10 well nine reps. And I do all these good mornings and hip hinges, all this stuff. And my hamstrings of all things were flat as a pancake. I had the worst hamstrings on stage. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'm shocked about that. You know, so that I got to work on them with isolated function and it makes sense. Uh, I can't max out the stack on a laying leg curl machine. Mm-hmm. So that needs work. Uh, calves are garbage. So, so I started training them this year seriously, and they've already improved in uh, like three months. Nice. Uh, my delts are I mean, more, more side delts is just a universal thing, but I wouldn't say they were lagging in my case. Uh, biceps more work. Okay, I would say that's about it. There's not; nice. it's just little little areas that need improvement here and there, but not the majority are are actually quite developed. Right, but it's those yeah. small things that can throw off your physique. Hey everyone! Before we end this episode, make sure to check out. Alex Leonidas on YouTube. The links are in the description. Subscribe to the channel. He puts out incredible information, incredible content on all things related to natural bodybuilding and strength training. So go check that out. Make sure to check back in next week where we're going to be releasing part two. If you haven't already, check out the At Longevity Muscle YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe because it really does help grow the channel and the show. Share this episode if you enjoyed it. Tag at Longevity Muscle and at Alex Leonidas Official on Instagram. We appreciate you as always. Leave us a five-star review if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or any of the podcast apps. Thank you so much. And until next time. 